Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Celtics Podcast. All things Celtics. Isaiah. For three. All things green. I got the ball. All things NBA. He believes that he can be a very special player. The Celtics Podcast starts now. Here's WEEI.com's Mike Petralia. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike Petralia, and welcome to the tip-off edition, if you will, of the Celtics podcast on WEEI and WEEI.com. A lot of expectations going into the 2016-2017 season, and we're going to talk everything Celtics and maybe other things in the NBA here on this podcast. I am joined by Ben Kinchin. He is certainly... At least pronounce it right. First of all, I never knew your name. I always knew you as just Trags. Right. And it's just kitchen. kitchen. Like the room in your house. So spell the name. Where you burn toast in the morning. Spell it K-I-C-H-E-N. Okay, very good. Ben Kitchen. Not like Brian There's Kinchin, no... the former NFL player. That is why I confuse it. That's all good. I know you think I'm an NFL player. I'm not. I'm sorry to break it to you. You look like an NFL. You look sure. like a free safety. I, I, I look like a punter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, a free safe. You got some upper upper mass to you on the uh, upper half of your torso, but you look good. I like the direction of this podcast already. Yeah, this is uh, <laughs> quite the uh, start to uh, the Celtics podcast here on WEEI. Ben, there's a lot of expectation for the 16-17 Celtics, and I think starting with the end of last season when they won 48 games, they finished tied with three other teams uh, in the Eastern Conference. And I think a lot of people going into that playoff series with the Hawks thought that this is the next step that the Celtics take after winning 40 games the previous year, uh, getting you know swept out by the Cavaliers. They thought, well, the next step is win a series, Brad Stevens really getting this team to the point of expecting postseason success, and it didn't happen. Frankly, I think the way the playoffs ended for the Celtics was really disappointing, but I think it also taught them to what it's going to take to win in the playoffs. And to me, if you're Danny Ainge, right, and you're Brad Stevens, it is not about winning 45, 48, 50 games. You hear all these projections about what the Celtics are going to finish with in wins in the regular season. That doesn't matter to them. What matters is, does this team have what it takes to get deep in the playoffs? And the regular season is preparing for that. Well, I think we're going to look – we were all disappointed with the way that series ended with the Hawks. Right. And I think now – and we all expected them to beat the Hawks. They seem like a better team than the Hawks, and the Hawks just ended up outplaying them. But we look back at that series now, and I think we all, you and I at least, agree that losing to the Hawks in that fashion was probably the best thing for this team, was to show them, well, you need to do a lot more. And to also show Danny Ainge, you need to bring a lot more talent in, and which they did with Al Horford, which is a great start. And you said it, they're a 48-win team last year. I think they're clearly a 50-plus win team this year right. in the Eastern Conference. The real measuring stick is, do you beat out the Toronto Raptors for that for for the Atlantic Division lead? Right. Do you beat them out and have that guaranteed playoff spot where you're at home? 
that's the key for this team. We know this year they have to get out of the first round. They have to. Getting swept by the Cavs two years ago, losing in that fashion. They lost to the Hawks last year. Now the next step is you have to get past that first round and see what you can do from there. I don't. No one's expecting this team to be an NBA championship caliber team. No one's expecting this Only team. Only if things broke perfectly. And somebody what, LeBron's got... leg? <laughs> That's the only thing oh, they can break perfectly. No, they can defend the Cleveland Cavaliers. What they cannot do, and we saw this against the Hawks last year, they lost because they don't have consistent go-to scores. And when Jay Crowder got hurt, and when Kelly Olenek, people will rip on Kelly, uh, you know, from here till kingdom come, but he could shoot from the outside, and he could provide some offense and perimeter scoring. You know what, Ben? The one criticism I'd have of Danny Ainge in the offseason, I don't think he really added that much in terms of the perimeter scoring. I don't look at Al Horford as a pure perimeter scorer. I know some people say, yeah, he can knock down the three. He can he can certainly pull the bigs out. I get all of that. But when I look at the Celtics, when the ball is in the hands of the guards, not named Isaiah Thomas, who's going to score? And the consistency is what's missing, I think, has been missing from that Celtic team. That is the big question mark. If you're a deep playoff caliber team, okay, you're going to need at least three guys go-to scorers throughout the playoffs. Do they have that? They have a go-to scorer in Isaiah Thomas. Yes, no question. But he's a limited go-to scorer. We saw that two years ago in the Cavs series. Every time he'd try and drive the lane, he'd get shut down. He was driving baseline, shut down, lose the ball, turnover. And that's another reason to get Al Horford, because he can kick to Al Horford now, who will bring some of that congestion away from the paint. But, you know, I mean, we're getting X's and O's here. Really, what it comes down to the Celtics is, can Brad Stevens make those adjustments Throughout the course of the season, and then, you know, assuming that we all assume it's a playoff team, can he make it in the playoffs? But you know what? I think we're missing the forest for the trees because I think this Celtics team has the capability starting the season. That, that's where we are now. We're not in March and April and May. We're in October, end of October, beginning of November as the season begins. And I think... Th- we should all step back and enjoy what this Celtics team is because it's unlike any of the other three teams in town. You agree? Absolutely. This is a team on on the real rise. When you look at the Bruins, that's a team that's been stagnant for a couple of years, missed the playoffs. You know, a nice start to the season for them. Maybe they're going to turn it around and become a playoff and no a contender again. Even with there Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. But there's, there's so no... much excitement yes. with the Celtics again. And it's not that excitement from five, six, seven years ago when it's like, we've got a contender every year. This is the excitement of fans saying, nice, I get to watch a team on the rise build to something. It's kind of has a similar feel to about 2001, but that team had a lot more talent in Pierce and Walker that could score. This team feels similar to that in terms of we're watching a team on the ascendancy and not the descendancy like we have with other teams. Patriots, they're always there, so there's, you know, that's always, they're always a contender. The Red Sox, people live and die with them every game, and they disappointed this year. The team we thought should have gone further than they did, and they disappointed. The Celtics, if they don't get out of that first round, that electricity's gone. I I think that electricity's gone. Look, I think, I look at the Celtics as that pretty girlfriend that you meet for the first time, and you're very attracted. You see all of the positive qualities, but you don't see the warts. And right Mm -hmm. now, 
even though, yes, I mean, the Celtics haven't advanced in the playoffs. Nobody's calling those Celtics teams genuine disappointments, maybe a little bit last spring, but even so, 48 wins, there was definite improvement there. To your point, if they don't advance this year or they get knocked out in the second round and they're swept away in the second round, I think people will start taking a step back and, and looking, hey, you know, what is Danny doing with this team? But right now, there's, we're still in the honeymoon stage. We're still in the dating stage with this Celtics team. There's a lot to be excited about, about Isaiah Thomas. Question about Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. And I'm around this, you know, around the Celtics a, a good deal. And I look at him and I wonder, is he a leader? Do you think Isaiah Thomas is going to take this team by the reins on the court and off the court? I think he's proven to be a leader this last season. You know, that first uh, half a year that he came here, from Phoenix. there's not much he could really do. And right. he did a lot for them, especially in the end of the regular season, not so much in the playoffs. But he has proven to be a leader in this sense. He's clearly the most vocal member of the team. He's the only one that's out there. You look at, you know, stories. Remember that story? He's up in Cambridge and he sees a kid wearing his jersey playing hoops and, right. or whatever it was, and he goes and plays hoops with him. And that's then it happens again. Another reason, by the way, not to get you off track. That's why the Celtics are so lovable right now. That's one reason. Why. That's a good point. I think he is clearly their leader. I think Al Horford now has to kind of find that role right behind Isaiah and kind of back up. Be Isaiah's lieutenant in a weird kind of way, even though Horford's arguably more talented than Isaiah. A better basketball player. But Isaiah's clearly the guy for this team. Who, who else? Who else would challenge him for that well, role I on mean, this team. Certainly the guy that's been around the longest is Avery Bradley, and I want to get to him. He's in, too in a demure bit. and quiet. See, but we think that, we see that on the outside, and I've been around enough teams to know what they are in the public face is not what they are in the locker room. That's fair. And how, uh, and uh, Bill Belichick talked about this last week when he was talking about silent leaders and Deron Harmon. Deron Harmon and Avery Bradley, very similar. They're very quiet, but when they do speak, their words carry a lot of power. And I think with Avery Bradley, I would still think while Isaiah Thomas is the public image of the Celtics, I think in that locker room, the way Avery Bradley plays defense, the way he battles, the way he works, because you talk to Brad Stevens, nobody, you know, to quote a Belichick uh, expression, nobody works harder than Avery Bradley. Nobody works harder than Avery Bradley on the Celtics. I think in a lot of ways, while Isaiah Thomas is the image of the Celtics, and for good reason now. I think Avery Bradley, this is the year where he has got to step up and really become more vocal, I think, on the outside and uh, speak for the Celtics and, and really raise the expectations publicly for what the Celtics can accomplish. You know where I'm going with this? I mean, I do. I know exactly what you mean I by that. I think Avery Bradley has great potential because he's been around the longest of saying, okay, all of what we've done the last two years in building to this point is great, but it means nothing if we don't take that next step. And I think he is, he's said that in the past, but I think he really has to hammer that point home, not just with us in the media, but inside that locker room. I think, unfortunately, Avery Bradley has plateaued as a basketball player. I think he's hit basically his ceiling. A very good perimeter defender, very good. Maybe top 10 perimeter defender in the NBA. Well, I think he finished, what, second or third for NBA Defensive Player of the Year last year. I mean, he is an extraordinary defensive player. He's elite. 
Absolutely. He's still limited offensively. He can knock down those corner threes, but he's got no range from anywhere else behind the arc. Right. He can still dribble drive. He's got a lot of talent, but I think he's plateaued. I, think I do he's not think peak. he has plateaued. I think he can take that next step offensively. I hope you're to right. To your point, I think that's what they're looking for. And if the Celtics are going to become that deep, deep playoff team and ch- challenge to Cavaliers to get to the NBA Finals, Avery Bradley has got to be one of those players who goes from being very good to great. Now, everyone has talked about Terry Rozier Mm -hmm. during this offseason and and during training camp here. And Al Horford recently had glowing comments about him, and he was shocked by Rozier. And people are predicting Rozier to be that next guy off the bench who's going to be a very good offensive weapon, averaging 12 points a game coming off the bench in rotation with Marcus Smart. I, I see... Terry Rozier as being a very good, potentially being the sixth man on this team, and usurping that role from, from Marcus Evan, Smart and and from well and from Turner. I, well, I think Smart is looked at as that sixth man right correct. now, but I think Rozier is going to take over that role because he's so much better offensively. Where Smart has the defensive capabilities. That well, Rozier obviously does. Rozier is going to get that chance now to start the season with Marcus Smart having a sprained ankle. Yeah, you know, obviously that is going to be a big thing to start the season, and it also gives. Brad Stevens, the luxury of not having to put Smart in if he's not ready to go to start the season. But Terry Rozier, to me, is, again, another X factor that we just don't know. Mm. I mean, he had a – obviously, he had great summer league. Yep. That's where he really started to break through and take that next step. And a lot of the teammates who watched him play over the summer uh, raved about him, including Isaiah Thomas. And, you know – can Terry Rozier be an X factor? Wait till the regular season starts and wait till he starts seeing teams that are scheming for him and really planning for him. And then I'll, you know, I'll, I think I'm going to hold judgment a little bit on Terry Rozier. Look at, uh, what do you assume the starting bigs are going to be? Is it going to be Horford and Olenek are your starting question. two? Uh, no, I, I think right now uh, the, the front court is pretty set. I mean, I think it's going to be Amir, Jay Crowder, and Al Horford. I mean, mm. I think I think that's the best front court to start with because Amir, as limited as he is offensively, oh, he's defensively he's, and he's he very good defense, and he's the best rebounder on the team. He is no question the best rebounder on a team that struggled to rebound. I mean, how many times last year did we hear Danny Ainge talk about we got to rebound better? We have to find ways and people who get in there and grab rebounds. You know, when Jared Sullinger was fighting his numerous issues when oh. he was on the court, great. But the most consistent defensive player and the most consistent uh, in low post and most consistent rebounder in the low post is Amir Johnson, and I don't think that has changed. Um, Kelly Olenek, do you think he's going to stick around? Do you think they try to move him? I think so. I would. I I would, too. I I see there's still some potential there where a team might take a flyer on him. But I, I don't think him, he doesn't Olenek. fit here. I mean, we're getting into the sweet spot of any podcast. And any podcast, you you talk about that player or that story that is a touch point. Yeah. And with the Celtics, Kelly Olenek is that touch point. He is a guy who has tremendous offensive capability. And he can rebound if he commits himself to it. But he's so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And and he has that demeanor where there's no fire to him. 
And I think a lot of we know this, right? We're in yep. Boston yep. and New England. Celtics fans want to see that fire, that Larry Bird, that Kevin McHale, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett. Exactly. They want to see that desire. And people look at Kelly Olenek and see, you know, come see, come saw, you know, <laughs> say la vie. It's okay. You know, I'll. I'll Try to do the best I can, but if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to freak out about it. And I don't think that's what fan, a lot of fans want to see from Kelly Olenek. That's a long-winded way of saying I don't think Kelly Olenek is the best fit in the Celtics system. No, no I, would, I would look to move him as soon as you can for another big that's more in the mold of Amir Johnson. Someone that I'm not looking to be an offensive focal point on my second unit. Right. And... Because he, he will string together a couple of 20-point games, and then yeah. he'll string together a bunch of twos and zeros. And people – and you know what? In those 20-point games, Ben, you know what people will say? Where would the Celtics be without that 20 points off the bench from Kelly Olenek? That's what they'll say. They'll and be I'm in the like, same exact place. <laughs> you, lose, you lose the forest for the trees again yeah. when, you, when you take that mentality with a player who – could give you much more consistency and save some minutes in the regular season so you're fresher at the end of the season. Save the minutes for guys like Amir Johnson, for guys like Al Horford, when you can get a guy in the low post who can be physical. And that's why I don't think Kelly Olenek fits. No, I don't think he fits either. Um, in, in the way it's currently constituted, he's an okay piece off the bench because of those occasional 20-point outbursts. But they're occasional. And then you look at the rest of that bench and go, okay, I like the way that bench lines up in the backcourt because you've got Rozier and you've got Smart, one who's a far more accomplished offensive player, one who's a far more defensive accomplished player. And then you've got Jalen Brown, who's kind of the unknown right now. We haven't even gotten to him. And who's flashed a bunch of skill. He flashes a bunch of highlight reel skill. Yes. The issue with Jalen Brown is going to be a his perimeter game. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that. He shot what what was it 29.3% last year in Cal yeah. and he shot 25% from three-point range and it's going to be a much more harder three and it's going to be a much more difficult three in the NBA and the defensive schemes are going to be much more intense and complicated. And is Jalen Brown going to be able to adjust to that? And that is, again, up to Brad Stevens to find, put him in positions with the right players on the court in the right second unit to get him confidence. Because a lot of this, Ben, is going to be building. And Jalen Brown's a very confident guy. Yep. You have got to build his confidence when he is on the court. Both show that the coach believes in you and that your teammates believe in you and that you believe in you. And... Brad Stevens is going to have to put him in positions to start this season where he builds his confidence. I think that's going to be crucial if they expect significant minutes out of the rookie this year. I, I think he's going to. I think he's going to have a decent rookie campaign. I think a lot of people have compared him to Jeff Green, and I say don't ever do that because Jeff Green is one of my least favorite players in Celtics history. I hated him. He had a lot of Kelly Olynyk in. Yeah, I was going to. You read my mind. So inconsistent that it would drive me nuts. But I think that this kid is going to quickly move past Jeff Green in terms of he's going to become a consistent player, a consistent scorer, and he's going to be a much better presence. He, you know, earlier in the preseason, he manned up with Carmelo Anthony, and then he had some comments after the game about that, how on one hand he was starstruck by it, on the other hand it was like, oh, this is exciting. So that's the difference. If people, if you want to be um, calmed, if you want to be reassured that Jalen Brown is not Jeff Green, 
the way he played against Melo and the way his attitude has been when he is on the court, he is an incredibly aggressive player, mm-hmm. much more so than Jeff Green or Kelly Olenek when he goes to the basket. And I think that is what's encouraging for the Celtics. He's not he's not fearful. For as a rookie, as a 19-year-old, he there's no fear in the guy, and I think that's what Danny Ainge saw. That's why Danny Ainge really drafted him. It's not because he Danny Ainge knows he can't shoot very well right yeah. now, but when he sees a guy that mature with that much athletic ability, and he he's not there's not an ounce of fear in him, he'll take that every day of the week, and that's why Jalen Brown's on this roster. Now revisiting the draft, and I hadn't talked to you at the time about right. it. What were your thoughts about? drafting Jalen Brown over some of the other talent that was still there. Before or after Wick Grosbeck got booed off the TD Garden floor? Uh, What what were your thoughts before that happened? (laughs) Um, And I'm assuming you were not one of the people booing him. I was not. I was um, taking video and I was uh, recording, documenting the moment. Yes. (laughs) As I normally do. Uh, I thought that they were going to make a couple of trades and they were going to push harder to get up into the one or two spot because I think, you know, Ben Simmons or Brandon uh, Ingram. Yeah, Ingram. I think Ingram would have been a slam dunk for this team because he's much more advanced offensively than Jalen Brown and played at Duke. And certainly to our previous point, he would not be afraid. But um, Danny Ainge felt that the price was too high and he wasn't going to move, you know, future number one especially with the draft shaping up next year the way it is. So screw it. You know, stay with uh, Jalen Brown and go with Jalen Brown. And I I had no problem with it. And I kind of was 50-50, or I was less than 50-50. I thought there was a, a small chance that he would make a move. So uh, I thought the reaction uh, from Celtics fans was overreaction, to be honest. And that was when I was standing on the floor listening to the booze rain down on Grossbeck. I'm like, what do you expect Grossbeck and Danny to do at this point? I mean, they're, they didn't control where the freaking lottery ball came up. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't them. And, you know, if you're asking me, do you, you know, trade everything to move up to – and I know I wrote this. I wrote that the Celtics should look into – uh, moving up to that number two spot and and getting and, and uh, draft Ingram. But for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And, you know, if you make your best effort, it doesn't work out, you move on. And I just thought the fans kind of overreacted, especially with a team that is still on the cusp of, of greatness. Well, the fans reacted simply because of the previous year and not getting what they wanted, or what was it, two years ago, two the, years wi- ago. the Wiggins-Jabari uh, yes. Parker draft where right, they didn't right, get what no, they wanted then. Two years ago. And then they reacted again this year because they wanted one of those two. And then the the local fans fell in love with Chris Dunn because of the Providence connection. And he had a, a couple of good games and they got to see him. They fell in love with him. Right. Which I think they made the right move in not drafting Chris Dunn anyway. Right. I mean, take a look at the Celtics backcourt that has been together, by the way. Yeah. And you're going to throw Chris Dunn into the mix. Now, yes, Chris Dunn can get to the basket. He's a scorer. We all get that. But um, – and he's two-time defensive player of the year in the Big East. Mm-hmm. Also, he's a great player, but still an unknown when you plop him into the mix yeah. with a loaded backcourt, a crowded backcourt already. What you got in Jalen Brown is you filled a void at a swing position, and you can put Jalen Brown in a position on the court where that you wouldn't put Chris Dunn, correct? 
And yeah, I th- absolutely. And that's what I think Danny Ainge was looking at is, okay, we have Terry Rozier. We have Marcus Smart off the bench. We have, uh, obviously, Avery Bradley and Isaiah Thomas. That's not where our need is. Our need is at the swing and a scoring forward. And I think that's what Ainge was thinking. That's what he, why he did what he did. You look at someone like Crowder. I look at Crowder as a guy that should be coming off the bench. He should arguably be your sixth man. I look at him in the mold of Andre Iguodala. Very talented defensive player who can do some things nice offensively. The way the Celtics are constituted now, he needs to be in that starting rotation. I was going to say, who's going to take his spot unless no you play three-guard college ball? No, don't ever do that. Not in the NBA. But the way the team is built now, he has to start. But he's a guy whose real role should be off the bench as a defensive stopper. See, I don't know about that. I, You need a rebounder in the starting lineup. and Amir. And, and I think you need one more. I think you need one more, and then you can really let uh, Horford roam and do his own thing without the pressure uh, and the demand of him doing other things like rebounding and, and playing defense. And I think that's the way, again, that's the way Ainge sees these things. Yeah. It's like, well, if I add one piece, how is it going to affect everything else? You just don't add, you know, throw five great players on the court and let them figure it out. You and, do if you're the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> yeah, but still, you know what the Golden State Warriors plan is. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're adding a, you know, a Hall of Fame player in Kevin Durant. By the way, I think that the Celtics will be okay without Kevin Durant. Had this team gotten Kevin Durant, we'd be sitting here saying this is 2008 all over again. Mm-hmm. The expectations are NBA Finals or bust. By the way, don't throw Kevin Durant out the window yet as a guy who could potentially still come to Boston. Right, one year. Uh, I mean, one I, year I think he Golden comes State. here next year. I, I think if this team makes the Eastern Conference Finals against the Cavaliers, loses to the Cavs, Provided they don't get swept, even maybe if they do get oh, swept. Yeah, if they get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think Durant comes to Boston. And and Tom Brady meets with him again? And Tom Brady closes, seal, closes the deal this time? Maybe. I mean, how many times has Tom Brady not closed the deal? Uh, this uh, You know, last summer in Long Island, that was one of those rare instances where he did not. Yeah. I, I still think Durant is still a very viable option for this team. He brought in his friend in Horford, who is a very good piece by himself. Now you pair him up with Durant. And Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley. I have not done the number crunching. Uh, they are going to have the money to do that because the cap goes from ninety-one million to one hundred and eight million next year. I believe. I, I that's, believe. I don't. Know I believe that's accurate. Um, but it, it skyrockets next year, and I believe well, Amir's going to be off the books. Amir will be off the books. So yeah, they, they'll definitely be able to do it. They're one of the few teams that would be able to do it. Um, and you look at the rest of their roster; they're all short money. That's a money. great point, Ben. Horford's the only one that's big money. Even Isaiah's short money. Um, uh, Crowder isn't a very big contract. Avery, again, not a very these nine, ten, eleven million dollars. Avery Bradley, you know this story. Fired his agent because of the contract that he. The, I did not know. Yeah, that. he did that. That, that four year, thirty two million dollar contract. I yes. think it was. Um, was so under market. Oh, it was unbelievable. It was great for the Celtics. It, it, Again, I don't. We can talk about this in a future podcast. Danny Ainge is one of the most underrated GMs in sports. I think he is what he does and his vision for what the Celtics are on the court and financially off the court. I think he's one of the best in all of pro sports. He's really good. He does a great job. 
He, he That's built another a- reason I think the fans do love the Celtics is I think with the Celtics, with such a historical brand in this market, when you entrust it to somebody like Danny Ainge, who is incredibly bright, articulate. And a very or, hard worker. And a very hard worker. Fans are like, that franchise is in very good hands. And you look at the coach he brought in and Brad Stevens who I, I was reading Sports Illustrated yesterday, and they did their whole NBA preview and everything. And everyone to a man except for one guy said that Brad Stevens is basically a lock for a coach of the year. I think the only one, someone else said Snyder out in Utah is going to win coach of the year. But Brad has quickly become one of the top three or four or five coaches in the NBA. I think no one, as long as Popovich is still coaching, no one takes the crown from him. Right. But Brad's right up there. In terms of his ability and how to mold a team, he's very good at that. And he's got the right guys that buy into his system. And he's been fortunate that Danny has seen what Brad's system is and brought the right guys into that system. Brad's a very good coach. A very good coach. How many wins does this team get this year? 51. Okay. I think it's only a three-point bump from last year. But I think they they get over that 50 threshold. And how many wins a year do you think... Brad is responsible for. That's a good question. Because I think it's upwards of 20. I think it's a very high number because, uh, you know, they usually say a coach, a good coach is worth, let's say, six to eight wins a year and the rest is is talent and, yeah. and just putting the right, the, a good team out on the court. But a coach, coaching decisions um, can, you know, account for – six to eight wins a year i think with brad it's much more because of the team that he has and team and the players that he doesn't have that other teams do have listen he's a better coach than doc rivers i i I can make that argument all day doc for some of the really good things he had i think the better tactical coach without a doubt doc was great with the locker room with the guys in the locker room in terms of how to manage the talent i think you're underselling doc rivers a little bit I don't think so. I think Doc, Doc had some glaring deficiencies as a coach. I think he was one of the best at drawing up a play out of the out of bounds, uh, yep. but his rotations sometimes were incredibly stupid. I think he pandered to veterans. I don't think there's any question about it. And we all know Doc hated rookies, right? I mean, obviously. And that's and a that, problem. And that's and, and would not work on this team, no. obviously, with the makeup of, of this current roster, I, unless he made huge concessions, which Doc is not into the – the only young player he really worked with for Hard a little while was Rondo. And then Rondo turned sour. It got bad. but Really bad. But Rondo was the only guy. And you look at that 07-08. That was Rondo's second year. That wasn't his rookie year, but he really started to break through that year. And especially at the end of the year and into the playoffs and then into the finals, he really started to break through. But Doc had some real problems. His rotations were crazy at times and that to me rotations is even more important sometimes than x's and o's in basketball at least certainly in the regular season and maintaining the freshness of your roster you got 51 i'm gonna go with 50 wins right on the button i say they finish third in the eastern conference and do they still finish behind toronto no i think they win the division i think so too um, and if that's the case, then I guess they have to finish as a second seed. Or I forget how that works. Do they? No, they've changed it. Yes. They, they can finish lower. 
I think no. You know what? I think they're going to finish second in the East. I think they win the division. I think they win fifty. Uh, get fifty wins. I think Toronto takes a bit of a step down, but I think they're still the fourth seeded, fourth best team in the East. And uh, I think they're third in the East. Fifty one wins. Win the Atlantic. So we're we're basically right yeah. about the same. Um, I, and I don't think what we're looking at is terribly optimistic either. I think that's about par for the course from when you look at their trajectory, what they've been doing the last couple of years and how they've progressed. I think that's about right on the money. And and you look at 48 to 50, 48 to 51, not a huge jump right? in terms of the win total, but I think just getting over that 50 plateau is a huge jump for this team. Do you think this has been a good inaugural tip-off edition of the Celtics podcast? I think we've had some good conversations. I think uh, – Moving forward, it's going to get better as we add a couple of people to the rotation, some people that are going to join the show from time to time. And uh, we'll leave that as a tease for you to listen in the yes. next time. That's what we do in, in uh, broadcasting, right? Whether it's a podcast, whether it's on the air with your uh, fabulous show in the afternoon, we tease, Ben, and that's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to leave it at that for the inaugural edition of your Celtics podcast on WEEI and WEEI.com. He is Ben Kitchen. I'm Mike Petralia, otherwise known as Trags. You can follow me on Twitter at Trags, T-R-A-G-S. Do you have a Twitter that you want people to follow? At YoungBenWEI. There you go. That'll do it. Talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.